for enlightening your word to us. Lord, make it real to every woman's heart in here and let it not come back void. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you hear me? I feel like it can. Okay. All right. Well, there was a couple who had been married something like 50, 60 years, and someone came along and asked the husband the secret of his long marriage, how he made it this long, and he says, well, we take time to go to a restaurant twice a week, a little candlelight, a little dinner, a little soft music and dancing. She goes on Tuesdays, and I go on Fridays. So. <laughs> Hey, whatever works, right? I don't know. I've been so single so long when people ask me who I'm with, I just say Verizon. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, John chapter 8 begins with a story that probably everybody's heard, the story of the adulterous woman in verses 1 through 11. And after much thought, it took me a long time, it takes me a long time to do everything, um, whether or not we should go through this passage because there's so much in this chapter to touch and we have such a short time. So I decided to begin our message starting with verse 12. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see in chapter 7, verse 53, all the way to verse 11 in chapter 8 is in italics, which means it's not really found in the earliest, most reliable manuscripts. Not that it doesn't mean that it wasn't an oral tradition handed down, and there's nothing wrong with the story. It certainly is keeping it with the character of Christ and being merciful to the woman and holds a lot of good biblical principles. But they didn't have chapter divisions in the original manuscripts. So this kind of interrupts the flow of the chapters right now because we're in the Feast of Tabernacles and all of a sudden we have this woman. So I decided it was kind of out of place. So I thought maybe we just kind of skip that. Um, in chapter 7, Jesus is sitting in the temple teaching during the week of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he used every opportunity to associate himself with whatever was around. At that time, they were pouring water out during the ceremony. And now in chapter 8, he's going to again use the moment and associate himself with the light as they were lighting these four large lamps in the court of the women. People were dancing and celebrating, so... Jesus, like he always was, always took advantage of the moment to show the world who he really was. So we're going to begin with chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. I am the light of the world. Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. You do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, and I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not, I'm not alone in it. I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So they were lighting these huge, huge lampstands in the temple, and now Jesus takes the time to pronounce himself as the light of the world. 
These Jews were not ignorant, as you might think, as to what Jesus had said. They knew exactly what association light had with God, and even more so with Messiah. Light is mentioned over 400 times in the scriptures in association with God, more specifically with Messiah, most of them in the Old Testament, starting in Genesis 15, when God made a covenant with Abraham at night. He came between the sacrifice as a flaming torch of light. And this association of light and God goes all the way through the Bible to Revelation 22, verse 5. And night will be no more, and there will need, we will need no light of a lamp, nor will we need the sun, for the Lord will be their light. But as to Jewish understanding of Messiah being the light, they knew what this meant. They had the Torah, the five books of Moses, which gave them every example possible. Christ was that pillar of light that guided them in the night through the wilderness. Christ was that light in the burning bush speaking to Moses. Remember how Moses' face shined so much after being on the mountain with God? So much so that he had to wear a veil as to not frighten the people. What about the lampstand, which they had to keep burning continuously to light the temple? What about the Shekinah glory that came down on the mercy seat between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies as God's presence filled the temple? Old Testament passages also present the nation of Israel as being a light, a light to the Gentiles, a light to all the pagan nations of the world. Isaiah 49, 6. Is it too light a thing that you should be called my servant? to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. As to Messiah himself, Isaiah 9-2 says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And there were just too many passages to count. Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Isaiah, Zechariah. You could really do a real great word search on light as to the Lord. But Luke 2 is a beautiful example in the New Testament as Messiah as light. Jesus was being presented as an infant in the temple when a prophet named Simeon, speaking through the Holy Spirit, took Jesus in his arms and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you were prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. That says it all. Uh, my favorite verse is 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He, who is the blessed, only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Jesus is God's revelation to man, to a God who lives in a light that men cannot see. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness in the heart of every man. He's the great revealer of sin. Just as light is a picture of God and his holiness, so is darkness a picture of a world without God a world of darkened hearts. Jesus shines the light of revelation as to who he is when a person is born again. He lights up our sin and then illuminates his word and enlightens our understanding of it. 
God's word is also seen as a light. Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, these Jews saw Jesus' claim of being the light of the world as equating himself with deity, as being God himself. So it was blasphemy to them. So they start quoting their law as they always do when they don't like what they hear. So they claim he's not telling the truth because he has no witnesses to corroborate what his claim was. Notice that Jesus said in verse 17, even in your law, the testimony of two witnesses is true. He didn't say the law because it was their law that had been added to the law of, of Moses, which God gave to him. Why did they add this law? Because men are liars. But Jesus didn't need this law. He cannot lie. But he gives it to them anyway. He says, yes, he has a witness, and that witness is his father in heaven. Well, that did it. That set him off. He was a blasphemer, and they were about to seize him again. But again, it was not his time. No one could touch him till his hour had come, and that hour would come from the Father. Verses 21 through 30, you will die in your sins. Then he said to them, I go away, and you will seek me, but you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, oh, he will surely go kill himself. Because he said, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Apparently, they don't get it um, at all. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about God being his father, even though they'd heard it a hundred times. So Jesus said, and this is a very profound statement, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak the things as the father has taught me. He who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things, actually many Jews came to believe when he started talking about this, Jesus being lifted up. He was speaking of his impending death on the cross and saying, I'm going away. All the Jews could think about were earthly matters. Jesus told them straight out and out, they were going to die in their sins. And the fundamental sin here is the sin of unbelief. Verse 24 actually does not include the word he. It actually reads, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Not, I, he, I am is the Old Testament phrase for Yahweh or God himself, and the Jews knew this. It was a very specific term. Again, Jesus references his impending crucifixion in the statement, when you lift up the Son of Man. Lifting up also has a biblical connotation of exaltation and he would be exalted when he's lifted up in his death many who did not believe in jesus during the time he had made this statement actually came to faith in christ after he died when they realized who the one was that they had crucified that he was indeed the messiah these jews could only think though right now of the physical realm they're looking for a king they're not looking for a messiah that's going to die they could not understand the spiritual realm why because they were in darkness. They were spiritually dead. 
The sin of unbelief is the most dangerous one of all because each time, and this is important, each time someone hears the truth about Christ and chooses to reject it, the harder their hearts will become to spiritual truth to the point where one may not ever be able to come. So if the light of Christ has been revealed to anyone who's hearing this, this is your great opportunity to come to him and repent. He's granting you this as a gift. To ignore or turn away, putting your trust in this life only, which is going to pass, is a recipe for death. If you do not come to me, you will die in your sins. That is a permanent situation in eternal, utter darkness, a place called hell, which is a place no one wants to be. Trusting in Christ's death on the cross is the only way to escape this. Verses 31 through 38, the truth will set you free. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, and these were the believers, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But some of them answered, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, which means, listen up, I'm about to say something really important. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does, does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. This is where it gets tough. What a passage. Jesus starts off with the truly, truly, and then says the Jews have never been, a, then they say the Jews have never been a slave to anyone. Are you kidding me? They've been slaves to many nations, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, and now Rome. However, Jesus wasn't speaking about physical slavery. He was speaking about slavery to sin. They were all slaves to sin. And all mankind is enslaved to sin until they repent of their sin and become slaves to Christ. Jesus is trying to make a point, a point again on a spiritual level here, but again, they missed it. The Jews were claiming they were descendants of Abraham, and they were in a physical sense, but Jesus wasn't talking about that. We are all slaves of sin until we come to Christ for salvation, and then we become slaves to holiness. Before I was saved, I actually thought I was free because I could do pretty much whatever I wanted, and I wasn't accountable really to anyone when I became an adult. And this is how everyone comes into the world, spiritually dead, but thinking they're free. And that's the great lie. But David said it well in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So it starts from the very beginning when you don't have to teach a kid to lie. They do it automatically. So it is not until we hear and respond to truth, the truth of the gospel, that we're truly made free. Verses 39 through 47 this is a good one. You are of your father, the devil. Everyone wants to hear that. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, well, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have only one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me because I came forth from him. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but God sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. They must have loved to hear that. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks for his, from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. For this reason, you don't hear because you're not of God. A lot of truth in this passage. Being in the lineage of Abraham didn't grant Jews salvation automatically. Just because your parents are believers doesn't make you one. I can stand in a, in a garage. It doesn't make me a car. So you've heard people say, I hear this all the time. We're all God's children. But this is a lie. This is not true. We are all God's creation. But to be his child is a wholly different matter. John 1.12 said, But to all who receive him and believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who are not born of blood, not born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's being born again. A son usually exhibits the characteristics of his father. As they say, the apple usually doesn't fall far from the tree. These men wanted Jesus dead, yet they claimed to be righteous. But they were murderers, just like Satan is. 1 John 3.12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, Satan, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. They'd already tried to murder Jesus, and they were doing it now, even in their hearts. He came to his own, Israel, and his own would not receive him. And Jesus told them they could not hear because he was, what he was saying, it was from God. And if you don't know Christ, you cannot hear the word of God. They didn't possess the Holy Spirit's illumination in any spiritual matters. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural, unsaved person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Jesus goes on to say, If God were your father, you'd love me, for I came from God. This statement can reveal a lot about those who claim to have the truth today in some churches. They claim to know God, they love God, they do the deeds of God, they obey God, but they don't see Jesus as the one who came from God. They don't see him as the son of God. He's a great prophet, he was a great teacher, and many will claim to love God but totally disregard the deity of Jesus. Unbelief causes such spiritual blindness that the truth can't even penetrate the heart because they are dead. But there is a remedy for this, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Everybody pretty much knows that one. Now we're going to go on to verse 48, and 50, uh, 48 to 59. Before Abraham was, I am. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? Everyone wants to hear that. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There's one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, again, listen up. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Oh, now we know you have a demon. 
Abraham died, the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps your word, they'll never taste death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say is your God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I'd be a liar just like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, listen up again. I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that's it. They picked up the stones and tried to throw them at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They couldn't kill him because, again, his time had not yet come. These men were wicked to the core. Jesus had set them off by calling himself, I am, and they knew what this term meant, and, and he, they knew he was saying he was God. And I am was given to Moses in Exodus 3 as God revealed himself in the, himself in the flames of a burning bush. God had instructed Moses to go to talk to the people of Israel. And Moses said, well, who shall I tell them sent me? What is your name? Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So they knew. When Jesus told them that before Abraham was, I am, and that God had, uh, that Abraham had rejoiced to see his day, the Jews' response was, I don't, who do you think you are? This is impossible. Jesus was telling them that he was the pre-existent one. He existed before his incarnation, and there was never a time in which he did not exist. That's another error that's taught in some churches, that, God, uh, that Jesus was a created being, and that is not true. But they could not wrap their heads around this truth. And Abraham did rejoice to see Jesus' day. God had indeed made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis that through Abraham and his progeny, starting with his son Isaac, Abraham would, be, would bless all the nations of the earth. Abraham didn't have the full revelation that we have, obviously, uh, concerning Messiah, as we too do today, but he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham looked forward to Messiah as we look backward. And it was believing God and only believing God that brought Abraham salvation. It's no different today. That has not changed. John 20, 31. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. These wicked men did not want to believe. They hated him. They wanted him dead. Well, they got their wish. Within six months, Jesus would be dead. He would be crucified. But this had always been God's plan, God's plan to save sinners. Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you Jews, you crucified and killed this man by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. All those who believe can rejoice because Christ died, but he rose again. And those who trust in him will forever walk in the light of his presence. But those who have never trusted in Christ's death on the cross for their sins will not be in any position to rejoice. Don't be a lover of darkness. Turn to the light. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so, so much for coming into the world as light to save us. And Lord, you know those who will believe and who will come to you. Lord, we ask that you draw hearts to you now today, even today, to repent and come to you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.